Hello, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm really thrilled that my good friend Jordan Harbinger is back on the show. He was on the show years ago, but he's back because we had a lot more to talk about, including the power of building your network and how relationships are critical not only to your happiness, but to your success, overcoming career expectation hangovers, and much more. Jordan is always just full of, I think, really relatable information, and you can tell that he shares it from a place of really, really, really wanting to help and serve people. And he's just hilarious. I love talking to Jordan. A little bit more about Jordan if you don't know who he is already. He's referred to as the Larry King of podcasting. He's a Wall Street lawyer turned talk show host, social dynamics expert, and entrepreneur. You can read more about him in the show notes and check out a link to his podcast there. Also, just a reminder that my coach training workshop is filling up. This is a masterclass for any coaches, health practitioners, or training. You're not going to want to miss this. It's June 30th and July 1st here in San Diego. Email jill at christinehauser.com or go to christinehauser.com slash coach training. And now on to my conversation with Jordan. Jordan, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's always fun to talk to you. It's even more fun to talk to you when we're recording, although I have to be on my best behavior. So (laughs) I don't know, maybe it's not as fun. Not really, not really, no rules. No rules at all. (laughs) So I wanted to have you back on for a variety of reasons. One, I adore you, you're a good friend and you always give incredible wisdom. And two, on the show, especially on the coaching episodes, we talk a lot about expectation hangovers, when life throws us curveballs that aren't always pleasant, but there are always incredible lessons that we learn from them. And you just had a whopper of an expectation hangover recently in your professional world and learned some pretty insightful, applicable lessons from that. Could you just bring us up to speed about what's been going on in your life, what you've been going through and what you've learned along the way? I will. And I'll keep it brief enough so that people aren't depressed after listening. Um, so What's happened recently in my life is I ran another show called The Art of Charm for 11 plus years, and I was negotiating an amicable split with my business partners for all kinds of reasons that don't really matter for our discussion, and then that that agreement did not work out as planned. Me and the majority of the other team ended up getting fired from the company, and, and it was a really big surprise in that it just didn't make sense. And I went through all these sort of stages of grief where you're like, wait a minute, this can't be. And then it's like, well, this is really happening. Start accepting it. And then you can either, and then you have to make the choice, right? Do I get angry at life or do I just decide to get up and and move forward and keep fighting? And I wish I could say like, you know, I just brushed myself off. But really what happened was I went, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I started to call on friends and family for help and say, what should I do? And what I found was that everyone said the same thing. They said, well, you're a hard worker and you know, you're smart, you'll be fine. But what started another pattern that started to emerge was people saying, well, actually, you know, you have a lot of great relationships too, and a lot of support, you'll be fine. And I thought, you know, that's not something people usually say, you know, of course I expected my mom and close friends to say, you're smart, honey, you'll be fine. You just, you're just a little hard worker. That always (laughs) makes you feel it's kind of like better luck next time. Right. But it's from your family and friends. So you assume that they're just telling you that to make you feel better. But when people started saying things like, and you have a lot of support, I just thought, yeah, but I'm not going to call people and ask them for help. And I literally said that to a mutual friend of ours. And he said, why not? I want to help you. And I said, well, what do you, you know, what should I do? And so slowly, slowly, 
I made this huge list of people that I felt comfortable reaching out to. And I realized, wow, there's like 80 people on this list. So I picked the 20 or so that I knew would like no doubt say, of course, because I was worried about my emotional state at that point. I was like, if I keep getting Mm -hmm. rejected and people are like, you're dead to me, your platform, you know, you're over with, I felt like that would affect me because I was in a vulnerable state having just experienced that kind of that harsh drop kick. And a lot of them went, look, you need to start the Jordan Harbinger show. You need to not miss a beat. I'm going to help you launch it. And people were mailing out to their list and having me on their shows. And they were really working like crazy to help me get the word out. And I ended up going on dozens and dozens of other people's shows that were helping get the word out. And, you know, I reached out to you and I just got so much support. And it really started Mm -hmm. to occur to me that, oh my goodness, all of this stuff, you can have a lot of skills. You can be the smartest, hardest working person in the world, but that's only going to be helpful if you're willing to do it all yourself. Not only are, and not only are most of us not willing to do it all ourselves, we're not able to do it all ourselves. This is an 11 year business build that I went through that now I'm starting from scratch. Why would I even try to do that all myself? I don't have to. And so all of this networking and relationship development and digging the well before you're thirsty type of concepts that I used to teach uh, all throughout the last decade and change, even when I was in law school, I was teaching networking and relationship development concepts. Those things started to become more than just this sounds good and this is on brand and this is a good way to live my life. This turned into what really is the greatest insurance policy that I've ever had. It's the greatest lever that I've ever had. And, and uh, a friend of mine recently said, what if I were to give you like 5 million bucks, but you can't use your network to rebuild your business. And I thought about this. This is like a hypothetical too much whiskey conversation. (laughs) And I said, I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't take any seven figure sum. Now, eight figures, we're talking a little bit different, but I wouldn't take any seven figure sum (laughs) for my network. Because what I realized is I've got so many great friends. I've got so many great business contacts. I would, I will never have to truly start from scratch because Mm. unless something happens where I'm, I'm off the scene for forever and I can't maintain that network, I'm never going to have to start again because I dug the well before I was thirsty. And the, the irony there or the joke in that is when people say dig the well before you're thirsty, a.k.a. build relationships before you need them, nobody thinks one day I'm going to be out on my ass hardcore like, you know, like you're curled up on the bathroom floor moment. No one <laughs> says that's going to be me in five, ten years in a totally unforeseeable circumstance and I'm going to need all this support. We're thinking well, this is never going to happen to me, so either I don't need to do it at all or this is never going to happen to me, but it looks good for, for me on my brand or oh, what it feels good for me to do this. And that's where I was. I thought, this is good for me as my brand. I like helping my friends. I like reaching out to people and developing a reputation as a networker. I never thought I would be thirsty, but I dug mm-hmm. the well anyway, and thank goodness I did because I would be out of my butt so hard and this climb back on top would with a Jordan Harbinger show would be next to impossible to do alone. This is the difference between recovering in 18 months or so back to where I was and maybe five years recovery time or, or who knows. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to say, I I draw the parallel of I'm recovering from an injury right now and thank God I was healthy pre-injury because I'm recovering a lot faster than I would if I was out of shape or 
overweight or not, not healthy, had a lot of inflammation in my system or anything. So it's like when we're, when we have that strong foundation and we have that base, it makes it so much easier to build again. So I want to dive into a couple things here because we have a lot of introverts that listen to the show and a lot of people that may be thinking, but you sound so outgoing. It probably was easy for you to make friends and build your networks. It isn't so easy for me. So has it always been easy for you to create connections with people or did you really have to learn the skill and the art of networking? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I get that objection a lot. Like, oh, well, you're a talk show host, big, big deal. Yeah. Oh, let me make some connections guy who can't shut up. Right. So I get that. (laughs) I, I get that totally. And The difference between, well, let me put it this way. When I was in school, I was so quiet that I remember there was a teacher that used to joke, if you didn't sit in the front of the room, I wouldn't even know you were there. And I started sitting in the back of the room because that made me feel so awkward. And she literally, actually it was two teachers, they both, he and she, literally put me in the front because they were like, we just want to make sure, because you never talk, you want to make sure you're there and you're paying attention. And that was that was me in middle school. And then in high school, I remember being so quiet that I got in trouble for wearing sunglasses. So people wouldn't see me looking at the ground when I talk. So I was massively introverted and I decided in high school that I was going to fix that. I didn't know how to do that. I became an exchange student and moved to Germany for a year. I was still pretty quiet, but I got away with it because I was like the random American guy who didn't speak German in the beginning. And then when I went to college, I was still an introvert. And then I went to law school and I was still an introvert. And then finally I get to Wall Street and I can't just outwork everyone and be like the hardworking, quiet guy. And I can't just be the smart kid who gets away with studying the day before the test because I'm an attorney on Wall Street at this point. And I meet a partner that says, hey, if you want to get to the top of the law game, you got to learn how to bring in business. And I was like, what are you talking about? I thought you just show up to work and work hard and then you make partner. And he's like, man, if you want to get to the top of the game, you know, you've got to learn how to bring in deals. And so I started studying things like sales, marketing, networking. And I took every speech class and Dale Carnegie class and they helped a little, but what I realized is there was a a total limit to this. You know, at those classes, they're like, look them in the eye and have a firm handshake. And I thought, okay, here's the problem. If someone doesn't like you or doesn't give you their business for their million dollar law deal, it isn't because you broke eye contact two milliseconds too early. This is, this stuff doesn't really, this isn't really how this works. So what I learned is that not only can I learn these skills through practice and I went out all the time and I, I started forcing myself to really put myself through the ringer introverts. We've found now through brain science, through, you know, Susan Cain's work and quiet, the power of introverts and stuff like that. We've learned through that work that introverted people actually tend to be better at making stronger relationships because We introverts think about what we're going to say before we say it. We think about other people's feelings. So we no longer have this kind of medical excuse as an introvert that we can't do this. We're actually better equipped to deal with meeting new people, creating strong relationships than extroverts. It just doesn't feel as good in the moment. Extroverts feel, you go, wow, this person's the prom queen. I'm jealous. They're not actually developing stronger relationships than introverts. It just looks easier because they seem so comfortable talking all the time. So mm. I will say, one, yes, I learned to be less introverted. I still love my me time, but I know how to 
go out there and, and do the relationship thing when I need to. And my introversion has helped me so much because I realize now that I have a massive advantage thinking of other people's feelings, thinking about how this is going to appear to someone, thinking before I speak. That has actually done me so much good. So if you're an introvert and you're out there and you're thinking, I can't do this, networks are not a secret club. You don't have to start doing it when you're a kid. You don't have to be born into it. You don't have to marry into it. You just have to work at the skills and the systems. And I'm happy to go over what some of my skills and systems are here. And you will get better at it. And it doesn't mean you have to go speak in front of 1,300 people. It doesn't mean you have to go to parties and be the life of the party and run a dance-off competition everywhere you go. It's actually much, much more low-key than that. So let's dive into some of the systems and and ways because I know people are going, yeah, 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 I really want to know how, how, how. We love the hows. Good. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I'm very practical. Everything on the Jordan Harbinger show is like, how do I apply this? Basically, it's like, if you can't tell me how to do what you're doing, you're dead to me, right? So I don't care if you're good at it. I want to be good at it. So what I realize is that most people procrastinate. They say things like, okay, if, if say, let's say it's a small business context. They say, look, I got to have my website first. No, look, I need a prototype first. This is foundational. It's not an add-on. It's not a bonus skill set. This isn't something that you can start later and make up for lost time very easily. If you're, if you're not doing this now, if you're not digging the well before you're thirsty, you're not immune to the consequences. You're just sort of being willfully ignorant of the secret game that's being played around you. And you're going to end up with a problem if you don't start now. So rule number one is don't procrastinate just because you think, look, I've got to get my prototype and my website and social media. I've got a hundred things to do that I already understand. I don't get the networking thing. I'll save it for later. That's one of the biggest mistakes that I see people making in business and in just in their personal life as well. And so one way that I like to have, let's say, introverts and or just newbies, introverted or not, shake the rust off of their networking and relationship skills. And by the way, caveat, I hate the word networking. It's kind of a dirty word. It makes me think of a D-bag who like slings business cards in people's faces and is like, Next time you need a financial planner, give me a call. This, that's not what I'm talking about at all when I'm talking about relationship development, just so people are, are clear on that. The first exercise I love to have people do, I call it layoff lifelines. And what this means is imagine you're laid off from your job today. Make a list of the 10 or so people that you would contact and solicit their advice on what to do next. So make that list and then reach out to those people now when you don't have an agenda and you don't need anything specifically, this shakes off some of the rust and it gets you some momentum. Because what I've noticed is a lot of people go, oh, it's so awkward to reach out to people that I don't know. Well, it is when you go, hey, Christine, we haven't talked in five years, but um, I need a job, <laughs> right? Yeah. Then, then that is awkward. And the reason it's awkward is because you know that you didn't care until you needed something and you know the other person knows that too. And it looks bad. But if you make this list now, these layoff lifelines, these 10 or so people, these are probably people that you, they're people whose advice you value. They're people who you know you should get in touch with. And of course, when that happens, what that means is, all right, these are the top contacts you probably have nagging you in the back of your head that you go, yeah, I know I should call my old boss. 
And, and you just need to do it now before you need something because that gets the momentum going. And it's not awkward because they might be going, what's going to happen? Is he going to try to sell me some Herbalife shakes or is he going to try to, you know, do some sort of thing where he, he recruits me for some weird cult or something like that? No, you're literally just checking in. You reach out to these people and you say, hey, I haven't seen you or, or talked to you in a long time. I hope all is well. What's the latest with you? I'm working on my own business. I started my own show. I really like the freedom. I'm living in San Diego, et cetera. It's just an agenda-free check-in, and that is so refreshing for most people that they, will, they won't even know what to do other than respond positively. Mm, I love that. I love that because I think what, what people forget about networking or making connections is it's only hard when we let our own story, like our own, like high school story, or our old story about ourselves, get in the way. People actually really like connecting and people actually, no matter what, if you take an interest in them, they, be, people love talking about themselves. They love feeling important. They love anyone that reaches out and makes them feel like they matter. And I think we take that for granted because we just let our own fear get in the way. Exactly. Yeah. I agree with you there. And I think that this layoff lifelines exercise, one of the reasons that it works is exactly what you said. You shake off well, you shake off some of the fear because you don't have anything to fear. Imagine you write to somebody, you don't need anything, and you say, hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. What's the latest with you? It's been a while since I left the company. Are you still there? And they don't reply. You don't go, oh my gosh, that was one of my chances to get my new job. What am I going to do? You go, oh, that's exactly. weird. My old boss didn't reply. Next, who cares? Next, who's there? Who's right. there exactly? You don't take it personally. Okay, I love that. What other, what other systems do you have? Oh my gosh. So here's one that I love because what people do is they go, all right, cool. I can spend half an hour, an hour reaching out to these people, but I can't do that every week. I've got to, some of us have jobs, Jordan. What the heck? You know, and that's only 10 people. What if I know a bunch more? I can't spend my whole life networking. I've got a job or a business or a family. One thing I do every morning, not right when I get up, because I get up like at 5.30, and that's, that's a good way to make enemies instead of friends if you're sending the messages at that point. <laughs> but every day around 10 or so, I set an alarm on my phone that I usually end up snoozing because I'm in the middle of something. But every day around 10 or so, I scroll all the way down to the bottom of the text messaging app on my phone. So if you have an iPhone, wow. you just open that, you scroll all the way down to the bottom. And those are the people that are there where it's like you had lunch with them once at a conference two years ago, and then you never really followed up for whatever reason, or you went to a yoga class with a neighbor and you texted her about that, but then you never actually followed up after that because they moved or something like that. You, you then re-engage those people. And the script is really easy. It's very similar to the previous layoff lifelines thing. It's just, Hey, it's been a minute. How are you? What's the latest with you? I'm still, you know, it's good meeting you at cafe gratitude a few years ago at fin financial conference or whatever. And what you can do at, what you should do in this particular exercise is you should sign it with your name because that, that avoids mm. the new phone who dis, right? Right, and right, then, right. Also, what it, what you should do is say, P.S., or you can throw this in the body of the text, it doesn't matter, uh, no rush on the reply, only if you have a minute, just checking in. What that does so counterintuitively is you say, since you're not bugging them for a reply and you're saying it's just optional, some people won't reply, but more people will repl reply to that than otherwise would. And the reason for this, I hypothesize, is this. If you reach out to somebody out of nowhere, sometimes they're like, Ugh, what does this person want? Or I know they're gonna ask me for something, I don't wanna reply. But if you say, no need to worry about the reply, just checking in, then they go, oh, this is an agenda-free 
conversation that if they don't care for the reply, they're probably not trying to sell something to me. And this is a very subconscious thing. They're not thinking this consciously. But remember, when someone's trying to sell you some, you know, get rich quick scheme or a weight loss shake, they say they build urgency. They don't, Mm -hmm. they don't destroy the urgency. You're destroying the urgency. So then the person goes, oh good, I don't have to worry about that. And then they answer it three days later when they're at home on their day off and they go, hey, Christine, it has been a while. Oh my gosh, you're so, there's so much stuff going on. It, it develops something with them. And remember, they cared about you enough or trusted you enough at one point to give you their phone number. So yeah having that refreshed interaction that way is better than doing something via email. And the reason that this is so important is because most text messages, I think the marketing data is a little old on this, but it used to be like a hundred percent of texts are read within a 10 minute span of of them being received. Email is like not even close, right? Yeah. Email is almost like optional communication, especially with so much spam. Texting is like this person is somehow automatically in my friend or family circle. So it's going to get a much quicker and much stronger likelihood of a response. I do that with about three to four people every day and almost all of them respond. It usually takes a few days, but it's like a 60 to 75% response rate. Whereas with emails in general, it's really not that quick. This is really, really, really useful because it, re- it re- engages those old contacts in a way that's usually pretty welcome, and it does so in a way that's in- very engaging and very non-invasive. It's, yeah. If someone texts me from five years ago, I'm never like, oh, this guy? How dare you? I'm like, oh, my gosh. Hey, even if I don't yeah. like them that much, I'm like, wow, blast from the past. You know, and also, you never know how it's going to land for the other person. Like, so for me— I must've been on the bottom of your thread a few years ago. Cause I can't remember the first place we met. Maybe it was mastermind talks and we connected and you were awesome. And it was before I started the podcast and you gave me some great information. And I think we connected again at dinner. And then a few months later I got a text from you and I was like, so pleasantly surprised because you were just this huge podcaster and somebody who, you know, has so many friends and, and is connected to so many people. And the fact that you remembered me and reached out to me meant the world to me. And I don't know, I don't think I've ever shared that with you, but I was just like, so like, oh wow, Jordan's reaching out to me by text to check in. That's so cool. Like I felt cool in that moment. And we, we, I just don't think we realize how we are going to land in someone else's life and how much it means to them. We often think we're being a burden when really we could be making someone's day. Absolutely. And I, before I started this, and by the way, the reason I love this one is people go, I don't have time. You so have time. You're waiting mm-hmm. in line at Starbucks for your coffee or you're on the train or you're stuck at a red light, which depending on state is still a crime to text. So be careful. But you know, you're stuck at a red light and you're texting and you're just like, hey, cool. And you can cut and paste the script. And if someone, it's not a big deal. Like it's a shortcut on my iPhone keyboard where I type like touch base. And then I just customize it for the person. Cause sometimes I remember where we met and other times I'm like, who is this person? And you can look, if it's, if you find your ex in there, just delete the thread. You don't have to re-engage everyone. There's no hard and fast rule, but this literally takes four minutes, not even half of the time is scrolling down to the bottom of that huge list. And it is so nice to hear from people and it is so low maintenance and people, the other objection that I get for this one is I don't want people texting me back all day. Don't worry. Half of them are going to be like, eh, I don't remember you or some, or I don't care. And the other half are going to have a 
30 second long or two minute long text interaction and you haven't talked with them in what two years they don't expect you to respond in 30 seconds you know if they text you back and you're at work and you don't answer your phone at work that's fine they'll wait till you get home they're just happy to hear from you because it's been forever so don't overthink this one this is just an easy way to engage with people that you normally wouldn't otherwise talk to that it almost guarantees a response and that layoff lifelines is a great way to, to rekindle some dormant ties that are actually pretty important. And um, I have another version of the text re-engagement that I use that yeah. I call Gmail Roulette. And what that is, is you know when you open your email program on your phone or on your computer and you type in two letters because you're like, J-O, you're like, I'm looking for Jordan. And it's like, it's like Joshua. And you're like, oh, Joshua, man, I haven't talked to that guy in like five years, but you keep typing Jordan because you're trying to email me. Next time, don't do that. Just type in two letters and then there'll be a whole mm. list of people whose names that you don't know. And then out of that list of five suggestions, there's maybe one or two and you go, oh yeah, you're in line at the coffee place or you're at the red light or you're in your office killing time, waiting in line for the bathroom or something. You can send in a quick email, re-engage like, hey, Josh, I was actually looking for someone else in my email contacts and I saw your name pop up. Oh my gosh, how are you? It's been forever. Mm -hmm. College roommate's best friend. That's totally fine to do that. And people will be thrilled. It's a lower response rate in a lot of ways, but it, it results in many more random interactions, which sounds bad, but is actually good. Because when most people network and do relationship development, we tend to be like, all right, I have a dry cleaning company. I only want to talk to other people who are dry cleaning companies or suppliers of dry cleaning stuff. So we end up, one of our networking mistakes, if we're even doing it at all, is we have this really deep network in our industry and we don't know anyone who does anything else because we kind of just thought they were a waste of time. Right. Okay. So let's back up a minute. Yeah. What if people don't have a lot of contacts in their phone, don't have a lot of email addresses are just really beginning to, to build a network. Maybe they're fresh out of college. Maybe they've been in the corporate family world for a while and they're like, my network isn't that big. How do you even start to build it in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question. This, so this sort of question is, is founded on a premise that I think is, is fundamentally like, how do I say this? It's like a fundamentally untrue premise. People go, I don't know anyone. I just graduated from school. And I get that. You think I don't have any value. I don't know anyone important. So I can't do this. The way that this works. And I'll, I'll show you some quick stuff that, that I basically started with and that I recommend other people start with too. People always, you always have a network. You just don't realize that it's a network because you don't treat it as such or because everyone is outside the industry that you want to be in. You think, well, I want to be in the entertainment business, but I don't know anyone in that industry, so I don't have a network yet. That's not really true. You actually have a great network, most likely. You're just not attaching it or activating it at all. And so one of the systems that I use uh, for network maintenance is called opportunistic network maintenance. So there's system systematic and there's opportunistic systematic blowing through that is like, maybe you have some sort of uh, software program that reminds you, Hey, it's Christine's birthday. You should say something or like, Hey, this is so-and-so's one year anniversary at their new company. That's a system, right? LinkedIn has a calendar for people's jobs and stuff. That's a system. Mm -hmm. Opportunistic though primarily is Facebook and Instagram. And people go, what are you talking about? Well, if you log into Facebook right now, there's that pesky little newsfeed. And what that has is like, 
somebody's funny thing, somebody complaining about politics, somebody saying, wow, sure is raining out there. And then another person's like, I just had a baby. And so you react to that and you click like, or you leave a comment and you go, wow, congratulations. That is kind of a wasted opportunity. So these people who think that, oh, I don't have a network. Yes, you do. Look in your newsfeed. Everyone in there is a part of your network, whether you think they're useful or not. And instead of clicking like or writing a comment, send them an email about their big life news. They just got married. They just got a new job. They just had a kid. Send them an email. Or if you're closer to them, text them or call them and leave a nice message and see if you can catch up by phone. Those types of engagements, text, audio, uh, phone in person, if you're really close enough to do it, that's higher on what I would call the engagement totem pole versus a like or a comment. You know, if you get married, which I did recently, a year ago uh, yesterday, actually. Oh, if, congratulations. Thank you. If you get married, you get 1,400 likes and 90, 986 comments on the photo and the, you know, the life status change update on Facebook, you might read those and you might click like, and you might enjoy the love, but you're probably not replying to each one of those. So if you find someone else's big news and you email text or call them, that's a much more intimate type of outreach. And so you think you don't have a network, you think you're just starting, but really you just haven't activated all of these other contacts that have added you on Facebook. You might think these people aren't going to do anything for my career, but that leads to another point, which is you, have you ever seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, or they're like ABC always be closing. Have you ever uh, seen that? Uh, yeah, I think so. But I don't remember movie lines like guys do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. Why do guys remember that stuff? You're right. It's I have like a no guy idea. thing. I have no idea. It totally is a guy thing. Yeah. I just, I just noticed that now that you said that that's true. I don't know any women that quote movies unless they're doing it while hanging out with guys. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like they probably remember one or two things from the movie and they're like, oh, I'm one of the guys. But guys are like encyclopedias of this crap. It's not useful most of the time. So, all right. So Glengarry Glen Ross, it's a movie about salesmen. And the most famous scene in this movie is ABC always be closing. And Alec Baldwin is like this a-hole sales gunner who just is like, you're useless if you're not closing business. Well, what I like to say uh, on the Jordan Harbinger show, and my company is called Advanced Human Dynamics, what we say is ABG, which is always be generous or always be giving. And what this means is, look, don't worry about what's in it for you. You're not trying to find people that are a match for a service or business that you provide. You're just trying to find out who in your own network would be a good connection with the person that you're talking to. So- mm. What main, what that does for you and what makes that different is that you don't have to worry about, okay, look, I've got this Facebook full of contacts, but none of them in the, are in the entertainment industry. These people aren't useful for me. They might not be useful for you, and that's completely okay. What they are useful to is each other. So you find someone in your Facebook feed who just had a kid, and you find another person in that same area that also just had a kid. Well, you should probably introduce them to each other. And the way that you can do this is you can do the double opt-in intro and you ask each party, hey, I just had a friend who lives in your city who also had a baby. I'm not sure if you guys know each other. Would you like an introduction? It seems like the kind of thing that would be useful because you're gonna need babysitters. You're gonna wanna find mm. the best schools for your kids. You're gonna wanna find the cheapest diapers in town or whatever it is that parents do. I don't have kids yet, as you can tell you would make that useful intro. Now, what that does, it has nothing to do with you. You're right, but it generates and develops social capital. And that's important because if you do this enough and you're 
keeping in touch with these people regularly through the systems that I mentioned earlier, what happens is they start to view you in such a positive light that of course they want to help you as well. So they start doing things like, yeah, Christine introduced us a long time ago. That's how we connected. Oh, I wonder how she's doing. So you're top of mind. They feel like they owe you one and you're really working hard at helping other people. So when you do need something, you are able to call on a lot of these people and they go, oh my gosh, of course I want to help you because the reciprocation, the law of reciprocation is in full effect. And so you're really just getting used to helping a hundred people, 90 of them maybe never help you out again. And it doesn't matter because you're not keeping score. It's not about what it is going to do for you. It's about what it can do for them. And you've built up over the time, over time, you build up so much goodwill that people cannot wait to help you back. And those 10 people out of a hundred that do help you back, that's how you find jobs. That's how you find a sublet with working internet. That's how you meet your future husband. <laughs> that's how you find out, uh, you know, you get a great uh, jump in a career or you get an investment opportunity or you find someone that you can hire that's trustworthy because you're building this network and you're not poisoning the relationships by trying to get something from each each person in it. So when you're having a, a down moment and you're reaching out for help, how do you do that with no victim energy? Yeah. How do you do? Yeah. That's so a really not, good question. And I actually really like that. Oh, do you want to finish that question? I just cut no, you no, off. No, 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 no. You got it. You got it. No, go for it. So the reason that that's such an important concept and stop me if I'm not uh, on the same page as you, but the victim energy is that is great. So when you're reaching out to folks, you're really not looking to get something from them. So instead of ABC, it's ABG, right? Logistically, this is easier. It's easier to match people with each other than it is to match them with you because when you're matching somebody else in your network, there's hundreds of people or dozens. When you're trying to match them with you, you have to find the one person that has the thing you need right then. The other thing is, since we're not looking at what's in it for us, we don't keep score. And what I mean by that is I'm not going, hey, Christine, I hooked you up with an advertiser for your show. Hey, Christine, I, I hooked you up with that producer for your podcast. Hey, Christine, I introduced you to that guy who uh, you know helped you build your Ikea furniture. And then one day I'm like, hey, Christine, can I have a ride to the airport? And you're like, no, I'm really busy right then. And I'm like, what a terrible friend, right? Yeah. <laughs> she never helps me. I help her all the time. That's That's what I call keeping score. And it leads to covert contracts and what yep. these are. Have you talked about these before? No. Mm -hmm. so, so covert contracts are like secret contracts. And what that means is I drive you to the airport. I pick you up. You say, thank you. I drive you to the airport. I pick you up. You say, thank you. Thank you. Then I'm like, Hey, I know you have an internet business. Can you sell my dog grooming ebook to your list? And you're like, eh, it's not really a good fit for what I do. You know, I'm more relationshipy life stuff. And I'm like, Christine's a terrible friend. And the next time you want to ride to the airport, I'm like, sorry, I'm busy helping my real friends. And you're like, what got, what's gotten into Jordan? What's gotten into me is since I kept score, I thought you owed me something. And since you didn't fulfill your end of an imaginary bargain, a covert contract that I had in my head, I decided that you're a bad friend or that you you broke the agreement, but we never really agreed on this. We weren't doing quid pro quo. We, you thought we were friends, and I just suddenly decided unilaterally that we weren't because I'm mad at you and I'm passive aggressive now. So covert contracts, what these do is they poison the well. You end up poisoning your own relationships with other people when you have covert contracts. And the reason that covert contracts come about 
is because you're keeping score. That's why it's important to not keep score. And whenever I tell people not to keep score, they're kind of like, yeah, 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 I get it. Help other people. And then eventually I'll get what I want. I'm like, no, no, no. If you're thinking like that, you, you start subconsciously keeping score. You end up going, oh yeah, you know, I'm not keeping score, but I kind of secretly am. You really have to not ever worry if that person helps you back because that's what starts the victim energy. That's what starts you going, but I help you all the time. You know, you owe this to me. Everybody always flakes on me. If you don't keep score and you realize, look, I'm going to help a hundred people and 90 of them are not going to help me back. And it's not because they're mean and it's not because they're bad people. And it's not because they don't want to be friends. It's because they don't see the opportunity or they're not thinking like a networker. And that's okay because they're normal people and it has nothing to do with how good they are as, as friends, connections, you know, of networkers, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. And so that's really important. And, and of course, on the flip side of that coin, you also have to know when people are walking all over you. You know, if, if someone is never helping you, even when you do ask, and it's a reasonable request, maybe they aren't really going to reciprocate. And that can also be fine as long as it's not somebody borrowing money from you or treating you poorly. You know, you have to be a little bit careful because it's easy to be too giving and then get walked on. But I will say that the people of the percentage of people that think they're too giving and are actually too giving, those are very different numbers, right? There's a lot of people who think yeah. I'm too giving. I'm too, usually you're not. Usually you are not like that. If you find that intimate relationships, people are walking all over you or your friends are always borrowing money from you, but then they don't call you and invite you to things. Yeah, you're being walked on. But if somebody doesn't do what you want when you want them to do it and you feel like they owe you, you should really look yeah. at, the type of requests that you're making and you should look at whether or not you're keeping score in a healthy way. Because I don't know that many healthy people that say things like, but she owes me this, you know, that's not really, exactly. it's not really healthy. So you have to be kind of careful here. Um, so I recommend not keeping score, but if you feel like you're getting walked on, examine the relationships individually, not as a group. And what I mean by that, this is important, especially for guys, because I see this, this is almost epidemic at this point. There's this thing now, this trend where guys are going, well, I was really nice to my last girlfriend and she cheated on me. And then I was really nice to my girlfriend after that. And then she left me and broke up with me. And then I was really nice to this friend of mine and then she chose another guy over me. So they do this thing where they're like, now I don't give a fuck. I don't care about anybody. I'm going to be a jerk. And they sort of uh -huh. treat all of their external relationships as one kind of, as one sort of living, breathing, non-reciprocating enemy or or, uh, or opposing side. And that's really unhealthy. And I notice that men are especially yeah. doing this where they'll write off all women because one girl cheated on them. Another woman chose someone else over them. And they're like, you know what? Now I'm going to be mean to everyone. And it's, it's acting out and it's really unhealthy. And so when we're looking at this, when we see people doing that in intimate relationships, it's really obvious. But when we see people doing it in business, we kind of think, well, no, there should be an even exchange. And I'm telling you that that's mm -hmm. really not true. You're never go If you're really yeah. giving and you're really out, go out there going out and networking, connecting people to each other and developing great relationships, you should be doing the majority of the work. You should be out there reaching out to other people 
and doing more of this than most people because most people don't have systems for this. They don't have mindsets for this. And so when you get used to the idea that you're going to have to lead the charge on this one, it becomes much easier to not keep score and worry about what other people are doing. Exactly. And when you are reaching out because you've just had an expectation hangover, you need help. Process your emotions, process your grief. You're not calling people to dump all over them and share your sob story. You share what happens. Of course, be vulnerable, but there's a way to be vulnerable without being victim-y. You know, you're not calling them for therapy. You're not calling them to unload. You're sharing what happened and asking, hey, this is, this is what's going on and making a direct request for help. That's the other thing that I have found useful in networking in my relationships is sometimes if I, if I have a direct request that I want to make and I beat around the bush or I'm like, oh, if you think of anything, people often don't think of something or they want to help me, but they don't know how. But if I make a direct request with no attachment, like if you can do this, great. If not, that's okay too. Then people really know how to help you. And I find that can work so much better sometimes than hinting at something or just hoping that somebody reads your mind. Yeah, that's that's great advice, too. I think a lot of people and I will throw this out there. Look, if you want to call your close friends and go, this terrible thing happened to me, that's totally fine. I I think emotional support is one of the best parts of having a great network. The problem arises or I should say the problem only arises when you're calling people that you haven't talked to in six months that are purely professional contacts and you're going this horrible thing happened to me. And they're like, Hey, I'm running out of time. What can I do for you? Cause those people might've helped you exactly. anyway. They don't, you know, you, you have to examine, are you getting a healthy amount of emotional support or are you starting to become addicted to emotional support? Yeah, exactly. Oh, awesome. Well, speaking of addicted, I know people are going to become addicted to you and your new show. So tell everybody where they can find your new podcast and connect with you more. Sure. So I run the Jordan Harbinger show, which is my name because I'm really creative at naming stuff, apparently. Really good at show naming. (laughs) And that's available wherever you're listening to this podcast, of course. And then a lot of the networking drills and exercises that I spoke about here, uh, that and a whole lot more are actually, if you go to advancedhumandynamics.com, advancedhumandynamics.com, you click on level one, there's a whole bunch of videos that I made where I explain these systems and more in, a, in what I hope is a really accessible way. And those are free because these were life-changing for me. And I'm like, everyone should be doing these, mm-hmm. you know, these little five-minute-a-day hacks that can be the difference between starting a, a lifestyle business or getting ahead at work or creating all these amazing relationships in very little time or just, you know, burying your head in the sand. So advancedhumandynamics.com slash level one or click on level one, all these networking things will be there. But I really just hope people enjoy the Jordan Harbinger show because I interview great people. You're going to be on there soon answering some listener questions. And I just pride myself on being a, a hopefully an educator in, in this area. You are, you are, you definitely are so generous with your time, with your information. And I really thank you and acknowledge you for being such a supportive friend all these years. I always can count on getting a text from Jordan, reconnecting, and you're an amazing listener. You really, really care. And you can tell that you walk this talk. You are committed to giving and without any strings. And thank you for role modeling that and for showing us that even introverts who had to wear glasses because they were only looking at the floor can become talk show hosts. Yes. (laughs) I know. What a weirdo. (laughs) I know. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you. 
And before I sign off, I just want to tell you about another awesome podcast on Podcast One, Heather Dubrow's World. It's every Friday on Podcast One. She's talking to fabulous guests like people from Queer Eyes, YouTube, and so many more. You don't want to miss a second of it. Check out Heather Dubrow's World at Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Also, remember to rate and review all the podcast shows that you listen to. It really helps the show and helps other people find shows like this one. And before I sign off, just want to give you some useful car tips. Do you know that a coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior? Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage, and you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range. Well, here's another tip you may not know about. True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. True Car isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler car buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with TrueCar, users can see what others paid, so they'll know if they're getting a good deal before buying. They're more likely to enjoy a faster car buying experience by connecting with a TrueCar certified dealer. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. 